Amen. Thank you, music team, for leading us in worship and song this morning. Uh, truth uh, of, what our, of who our God is from his word. Uh, and what a joy it is to lift our voices together in song and praise. <clears throat> uh, as we continue to worship, I'm going to be in 1 Peter 3, uh, 13 to 18, if you want to take time to turn there. But I want to start off with a question of, what do you put your hope in? <clears throat> For the Christian, it can maybe seem like an obvious answer, right? Of course, we put our hope in Christ. But in my life, I know that I have often put my hope in other things as well. You can put your hope in Christ, but you can also kind of separate that hope and put it into other things. Uh, in my own life, I held people in such high esteem in my relationships with people, my friendships that I had, that they became an idol and they became a hope. If I had people around me, if I had people that I knew liked me, if I felt that I belonged and I was somewhere, then I felt good. I had this hope. I had something to look forward to. But in those times when maybe I got in an argument with someone, or maybe I just had this feeling that someone didn't really like me that much, or people didn't want me around, I would go to this very bottom, deep, dark place of no hope, hopelessness. I think there's many things in our world that try to capture our hope and try to take our hope. But as a Christian, and by looking in God's word, we can see that there is a greater hope than anything else, and that is in Christ. And so let me read from 1 Peter three, thirteen to 18. It says... Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that you... Uh, When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, May we stand in awe of you, of your holiness, your majesty, and your power, as we read from your word this morning and as we study it and look at it. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly so. Lord, grant us a hunger for your word and your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another. Lord, help us to apply this passage to our lives today, that we would be challenged and changed by your word through the working of your spirit in our hearts, that we would be obedient followers of Christ, reflecting who you are to this world. Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and gentleness, that you will be centered, that you will be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people, God. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So as we go through 1 Peter, the first thing that I want us to see, and I believe Peter is pointing us to, is to really see the hope of Christ. 
<clears throat> I, um, unfortunately, or perhaps maybe somewhat fortunately, am somewhat of a, a fearful person. I worry a lot. Uh, fear, when it's the right fear, uh, helps us to stay safe, right? To keep ourselves uh, and others from harm and to think rationally. Uh, however, there is also a wrong fear, um, especially when it comes to our faith in Christ um, and trust in God and who he has revealed himself to be in our word, in his word. <clears throat> this fear keeps us from doing what God has commanded us to do. It keeps us from trusting him in the suffering and the trials when others arise against us or other things rise up against us. This fear of not being comfortable anymore, this fear of maybe letting go of things that we hold very closely, this fear of the unknown, it can all cloud that hope that we have in Christ and that we should have in Christ as he's revealed it to us. In my life, I feared standing out or being excluded for seeming different or ostracized or abandoned because of what I believed and what I put my hope and faith in and what I believed to be true because God said it is true. <clears throat> the world can constantly try to coax us into finding hope in other things. But in 1 Peter 3, Peter's calling followers of Christ to see this hope of Christ and to continue to persevere and be set apart and to not fear. <clears throat> I need to repent of this fear daily. Because in 1 Peter 13 it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. See, Peter, just before this, was explaining through Psalm 34, uh, verses 12 to 16, how God is favorable to the righteous who zealously seek to do good. This word zealous describes someone who is eagerly devoted to him, eagerly devoted to doing something. So God is calling us to be eagerly devoted to what he has called us to do, to be good, to listen to what he has commanded us. That regardless of the circumstance, we are to walk in righteousness and goodness, to bless others, to pour out God's love that he has showed us, for God has promised to bless us in his timing and in his way. And that can be hard for us sometimes, because we often think we should be blessed in other ways. His eyes will be on us and his ears open to us as we come to him in prayer. His spiritual blessing will come upon us having his presence with us and looking to the future hope of salvation, that is the blessing that he gives us. And that is a greater blessing than anything else. <clears throat> In this first section, Peter points us to a practicality of good behavior as well. In that very first part, he's saying, if we aim to do good and be good, do we not likely have less enemies? From what the Bible says and my own experience, that is true. Proverbs sixteen seven says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes his enemies live at peace with him. So on the flip side, if we act with anger and selfishness and jealousy and malice towards someone else, do we not earn enemies through that? Of course we do, right? People will be upset at us. People will hate us. People will be angry at us if we do wrong to other people. But God calls us to obey him. And something I've learned is that he doesn't just have these rules for the sake of rules, just for the sake of listening to him. <clears throat> but because he is wise and he knows us deeply, because he made us, 
He gives us these commands in life that, uh, to follow Christ because it works and it's true. Peter, however, then addresses the irrational harm for our good and righteousness. And I'm sure we've felt that before. <clears throat> Regardless of the amount of good that we might do towards someone, there's still things that come in our life that shake us, that destroy us, that cause us harm, that cause us pain. But Peter is saying, even if we suffer for our righteousness' sake, and as we read throughout the Bible, we know that will come. We just have to look at the book of Job. We know that that will come. Even though that suffering comes, there is a spiritual blessing in that. And the Christians whom Peter is addressing have already been cast out and set apart and have experienced this persecution for their faith. But Peter questions what harm can do if we continue in the righteousness of Christ, continue to do good for Christ's sake, even with that harm. Peter declares that there is, in fact, no harm that can come at all. As God's word says to us time and time again, our God is in control. He will always have the last word and the hope that we have in God and who he is and what he has done and, the prom- and what he promises to do that this hope cannot be taken away. It helps us to continue onward. And we see that actually at the beginning of 1 Peter. In uh, 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And in Job 42, verse 2, it says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We can trust in God's will and plan even when circumstances are difficult, even when others rise up against us, even when others uh, show anger or malice or slander us for what we believe and for the hope that we have. through the destructive and and painful situations, because we can see a hope that will not be destroyed. And that is in Christ and Christ alone. Peter wants those of faith who are seeking to obey all God has commanded to see this hope that casts out fear. Casts out the fear of uh, of doing uh, what God has called us to do and to be, right, and to live in what he has called us to do by his word, that it's not done in vain, Not only are we blessed here through spiritual blessing from God, but this hope that we have seen in Christ, the calling to seek to do good, to follow the Lord's instruction, to rest in his hope through the slander, the suffering, that harm that will come, it's not motivated by awaiting the prize of some participation ribbon. It's motivated by salvation and eternity with God, our Heavenly Father, in his glory, praising his name forever. It is pointing us to our hope and trust in God who is creator and king, who is in control, who made us to glorify and reflect him, although we did a very bad job at it. We continue to sin against him. It's this hope that points us to a God who stepped down in humility from his throne to show us and make the way for restoration in our relationship with him. 
by dying on the cross, bearing the wrath and judgment for our sins, and rising again as approval that it was indeed finished. We look to the hope of this glorious inheritance as a saved child of God, restored to a new life in Christ. Eternally glorifying God, which nothing can take away, not even death itself. That is the blessing that we seek, eternity in God's glorious presence. And so do we actually see that hope? Do we revere God as holy? Because if we don't see God as Lord and as King, and as Savior, that in Christ there's actually hope, then there's no way that we'll actually live in that hope. We have to first see it. We have to read it from God's Word. We have to believe it. Truly believe that it's indestructible. It lasts forever. It goes beyond harm and beyond death itself. And so what fears might you have that are keeping you from seeing this hope in Christ? God wants us to see the hope in Him and to not fear what man may do, but to see our hope and to put our hope on Christ. And so Peter calls us next to set our hope on Him, to set our hope on Christ, the one who died for us. If we truly see and believe this hope, then Peter calls us to take action. It's an inward action in your heart to honor Christ as Lord of your life, which in turn will have a complete effect on your outward actions. It says right there in chapter 15, or verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. See, for Peter, this hope isn't just a wish that he looks to, but a certainty and one that he is willing to put his entire life on. He's willing to let go and to give up, to surrender to God and to surrender to Christ as Lord, submitting to Him, His way and no other way. Surrender to that Lordship of Christ in your life. That is what Peter is calling us to. Another word used for honor, uh, in other versions they use the word sanctify, to treat something as holy, to see something as holy. It is the Lord and His holiness and goodness, His justice and power that we are to respectfully revere. And I know that this has been a difficulty for me to truly acknowledge in my own life, especially when I was younger, um, because I like to have control and I like to be in charge, Uh, especially when it came to what I did with my life and my decisions. And I've been learning about God my entire life. Right? I grew up in the church. I'd often heard of this God that created us and wonderfully made us and he loved us so much and how special and important I am that I took that to heart almost too literally and I didn't really revere Christ as Lord. I almost made myself more important than God. You see, my life was mine, and so I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to make the calls. I wanted things my way. But when suffering and difficulties come, where did this thinking of, you know, God loves me so much and he wants what's best for me, where does that go? God loves me? Yeah, right. Why is this happening then? God's in control? Why won't he take this away? Why won't he take this suffering from me? See, it wasn't that these things weren't true. It's not that God does not love us. But God's word creates this perfect balance and tension of who God is. 
He is a loving and amazing God who, although he is set apart from us, he came down to earth and he loves us so dearly. But he is also king and creator. He is holy and he is Lord. And he commands for us to submit ourselves to him. And so my heart was not fully set on Christ and was not set on the hope and gift of his salvation, his spiritual presence. It was not set on the fact that God is God, that he's in control, that he has a plan. He is to be praised and glorified above all else, him and him alone. And he knows far beyond what I can even imagine or comprehend. He has a way better plan than I do, whether I think that or not. And so when the struggle and sufferings come, all I wanted to do was to just give into it and to run away. But God calls us to stay and to persevere as individuals, as a church. But why? Because it's in this suffering that the hope of Christ shines brightest. Although suffering and persecution come, We're called to be in such an obedience to Christ, to be so hopeful in Christ, to stand out so much to this world because of Christ that Christ shines so brightly through that suffering. God did not call us to do something that he did not already do himself either. Jesus Christ, the righteous who did no wrong, suffered and died in the place of those who were unrighteous. Christ is holy and he calls us to be the same. But he has gone before us and he is with us through it all. When there are so many other things that promise us hope and may even bring us some hope, none of them last, but Christ's hope lasts forever. See, Peter addressed uh, this in 1 Peter again in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, Jesus even prayed for this in John 17. In John 17, verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so I ask, what is your hope set on? Is it Christ? See, Christ prayed that we would not be taken out of the world, but that we would rest in the hope and salvation of what he did on the cross. That no matter what happens to us in this life, that hope would not be destroyed. God is calling us to set our hope on him, to trust him, to truly see him as Lord and live a life as such. That regardless of the harm that others may try to cause or the suffering that may come, the hope that we have is firmly and fully on Christ. And as we have that hope, others won't be able to help but wonder how we can still have that hope in our circumstances. And so as we go through the the rest of uh, this section, Peter calls us to share this hope with others. In verse 15, 
Again, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. As people see the hope in unity that we have in Christ individually and with one another as a church, through the hardships, through the suffering, they can only wonder where that unreasonable hope comes from. Because it doesn't make sense to them. And we are called to be ready for it, to be ready for those questions. We have a responsibility now, as Peter calls us to defend it, to share why we can still have hope when circumstances should have depleted it completely. People will question and attack it even, try to break apart the reasons that we have hope. So we are called to defend that hope to the point and to point them to who we have our hope in. This term, apologia, is understood as a well-reasoned reply, a thought-out response. It's not something on the whim. It's something that we have already prepared, that we've already thought about. We're called to give an answer to those who ask us, why? And so in verse 15, Peter shows us that this def- uh, what this defense should be like. It's not an argument in which we leave and say, I sure showed them, but it's a gentleness towards a person. And this word gentleness, I love this, the way that uh, the word describes it is a power with reserve. We don't belittle the truth. We don't belittle the power. But it's not out of this malice or anger. It's a gentleness and love. But it is a strong and firm truth and power of God's word. We don't hold back the truth of our hope. It still has power, but we can't force people into being saved. It is God and God alone who changes hearts and calls people to himself. And that is why there's also respect or reverence in our defense of our hope that we have. As we revere and trust God, as we fear him, we must remain obedient to the life that God calls us to, even in those times of opposition and slander for what we rest and trust in, that we can reply in gentleness and meekness, knowing that God changes hearts, that God will have the final word. We don't steer away from the truth or dismiss truth from God's word, but we present it with gentleness and respect to those who ask. We continue to respect God as our Lord and show gentleness to others in our defense suffering for our righteousness, that those who question may begin to see and set their hope on Christ as well because of our great love for them, to see them called to repentance, right? to see the love that God had for them, to put their belief in Christ as their own Savior and Lord. We pray that God will bring them to a place of humility through our own fear of God and through our own goodness and gentleness. And so through this, you can see why Pastor Nate has been, well, what Pastor Nate's been talking about these past couple of Sundays with pulpit table square. You can see how they start to come together. You can see why the pulpit and table is so important to the square. That this hope is being preached and taught. It's being sung in our songs of praise and worship to God. That we're being reminded of it. We're being reminded of the hope that we have. It is being prayed for 
and discipled through our interactions together in and outside of the Sunday morning gathering. It is a family coming together in unity, being one body, one mind, Christ as our head. And because it is so among us, it is shared and shown and defended when those who don't have it see it shine through our lives, see it shine through the difficulties, see it shine through the struggle and the suffering and the trials. So let us continue to do good, to be good and conscious, for that is better than suffering for doing evil. We must continue to do good, to continue to follow and obey, because we're called to be set apart, regardless of what others may do or say to us. We continue to show the same love that Christ has showed us. And I know people don't often enjoy being isolated or excluded, to be left out or set apart, right? I even shared about that in my own life. It sucks. It's terrible. But that is why we have each other. That is why we have the church. Suffering is difficult enough, but suffering alone, it can be unbearable. So that is why Peter calls us to be unified. And that is why Jesus even prays for us to be unified. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And in John 17, verses 21 to 23, it says, this is Jesus praying, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they, may also, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. In unity together, God will be glorified as people recognize Christ in us. And of course, again, we cannot forget the example that Christ, who has suffered for us in our place, The gospel is what we hold on to. It is what brings us together and unifies us. What an amazing place the church is, right? People from all different walks of life, different nationalities, different ages, coming together for one reason, because we've been saved by grace. We're gathering to glorify our God together. And so we look to Christ who suffered first. He suffered physically, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was spat on, thorns on his head, nails in his hands and feet, and he was hung on a cross and died. He suffered loneliness, being betrayed by his friends, separated from the Father as he bore our sins and took the punishment and wrath of God upon himself. The righteous died for the unrighteous. But he didn't stay dead. Although he died in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit and rose after three days. And he offers us new life. Forgiveness of our sins as we come to him in repentance, turning away from our sins and walking in obedience and believing that Christ truly is Lord, that he is king, that his truth is our foundation and that is what we rest upon. Jesus at any time could have stopped it, but he knew that through this suffering, God would be glorified and we would be saved and justified, made right before God 
for all those who repent and believe in him and put their trust and hope in Jesus. This hope and suffering is a bright light of God's glory to those around us. And I know this gives me some more confidence when it comes to sharing the gospel with others, that I am ultimately sharing a hope that I am living for each and every day as I strive to exemplify Christ. We may not have lofty words or great intelligence, but I bet each and every one of us can share this hope that we have in Christ if we truly see it and we truly believe it and we truly submit to God's word and what it tells us of who he is and what he's done. And so as we leave from here, I, I pray that we see and set our hope on Christ. That as we persevere through the suffering and persecution for righteousness, we will share this hope with those who ask. This passage calls us to a hope that will set us apart and calls us to a difficult life. In painful and unfair circumstances, we are called to submit to God's holiness and rule and to continue to rest in the hope of Christ, to rest in the truth of what he has told us is true. And it won't be easy But do we see the hope of Christ for what God's word tells us it is? That there is truly nothing, not even death, that can take it away. And if so, why do we still fear? Or why do we try to put our hope in other things? What fears may be taking you away from seeing this hope and settling your hope fully on Christ? I pray that we think about that, that we bring it to God, that we look to his word, that we pray about it, and we pray that we would not fear, for we have nothing to fear when we have Christ. Because what could our church be like if we fully submitted to this hope? I believe that we'd be people that persevere through hardships as we turn to the hope of Christ in all of it. There will be tears, there will be sorrow, there will be pain, But there will always be that hope of Christ. As we remind one another of the gospel through being in God's word and prayer, I believe we would show love and forgiveness and have such a unity through it all that people will ask us why. They will see a difference in us. And when they do, we would be a people who are bold in telling them who our hope is in and why the treasures and hope of this world are dull in comparison to salvation in Christ and relationship with our Heavenly Father. So what are we willing to give up to put our hope fully on Christ? Because we know Christ has called us to take up our cross, to bear it, and that might even mean death in this life. But we know that death itself cannot take away this hope. And so pray with me that we would be a people who live in this hope that others may see and ask, that they will share this hope with others, that we would see and set our hope on Christ, that as we persevere through the suffering and persecution for righteousness, we will share this hope with those who ask. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of what it is, God, and how it points us to Christ and our hope that can be set on him. God, there are many fears that we have and many things that we try to put our hope in, God. I pray that you break those things. God, that 
We would not put our hope in anything else but you and you alone. For we know that none of that is promised in this life. God, we know what is promised. And that is salvation and justification in Christ. God, who came to this earth, who showed us the way to live in obedience to you, God. He did not sin. He was not guilty, and yet he still went to the cross. God, in your will and in your way, although it meant suffering and pain, but God, he knew that you'd be glorified in that. So God, I pray that we would exemplify Christ, that we would trust in your hope, that we would walk in your will, even in the difficulties and the suffering and in the pain. God, that this hope would shine. God, that you would shine out into uh, our world. God, in our community, that people would see the hope that we have, that there is nothing greater than this hope that we have. And God, that you would have all the glory and all the praise. God, may you work in our hearts that we would not fear. But God, that we would revere you alone as holy and as Lord. God, awaken us to see that. Open our eyes to see that, God. To break these idols that are in our life, these fears that are in our life. And God, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.